This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It is Monday, January 9th, and this is People Every Day. Well, hi there, everyone. I am People's Editorial Director of Society and Culture, Michelle Tauber. Janine is out today, and I am honored to be filling in for her, especially on Today of All Days, when there is so much news surrounding the royal family. So let's jump right in with the biggest story out there in the royals world. Naturally, I'm talking about Kate Middleton's birthday. (laughs) That's right, the Princess of Wales is 41 years old today, and in fact is celebrating her very first birthday as the Princess of Wales. The Royal Family Twitter account, of course, posted a birthday wish to her with a smiling photo of Kate and a caption that read, quote, wishing the Princess of Wales a very happy birthday today. Kate and William have had a very busy few weeks, and while they typically tend to keep birthdays really private and low-key, I do hope that Kate is enjoying a few extra moments of relaxation today. And then, yes, aside from today being Kate's 41st birthday, I suppose there is one more royal family story floating out there today, that would be Prince Harry. Yesterday, the Duke of Sussex had two big sit-down interviews, one on 60 Minutes and one on ITV in the UK. And then there was another this morning on Good Morning America. And all of these are, of course, to discuss Prince Harry and his new memoir, Spare. Well, tomorrow is a very big day. Prince Harry's memoir, Spare, will finally be in bookstores for everyone to buy, although it does feel like it's been out for a few days. But before you receive your copy, let's dive into all of the interviews he's been doing lately where he's really been shedding some additional light on what he writes in the book. So joining me now to discuss everything are my Royals colleagues, People's Chief Foreign Correspondent, Simon Perry, and People Senior Editor, Aaron Hill. So there is a lot to get into, and I guess I'd like to start with some of what Harry discusses in his interviews regarding Camilla, the queen consort. Simon, it seemed as though he goes a bit further in the interviews than he does in the book about some of the things he alleges she did in terms of um, what he says about, you know, planting stories and, and, and being, he uses the word the villain in this um, scenario. What do you make of that? It was fascinating, wasn't it, about Camilla? She is mentioned throughout the book, and there are hints that she or people around her were behind some of the leaks about both Harry and William. But yeah, in the last day or so, he's gone a bit further, hasn't he, and talked about being sacrificed on her PR altar. There's no doubt, especially when he was a bit younger, there were people employed to promote Camilla and make the country, Britain, ready for her as a wife of Charles. And sometimes that meant running stories that were negative towards Harry and, to a lesser extent, William. Yeah, it was quite something to hear him call her dangerous in terms of, you know, what he meant was she had this sort of motive 
to want to distract or deflect from negative coverage of herself. And again, alleging that she did that by using the press to her advantage. Were you surprised to hear him write in the book, to read that he wrote in the book that Harry and William begged their father, Charles, not to marry her? I wasn't surprised because they always had this difficult relationship with the idea of her. But as he often points out in the book and in these interviews, there's no doubt she makes his father happy. They like seeing their father happy. And I think he makes an aside, doesn't he, that her being happy might be a good thing, that that stories would stop. So he does see the benefits of Camilla being around, and both for his father and for the family as a whole. And he also says he gets on well with her. It's difficult, isn't it, for him marrying up the politics of it with with what is actually the human relationships that have gone on and, and seem to thrive in the family. I mean, you know, his father is happier. Right, right. He did call Camilla his father's person, which is sort of an American modern way of saying that. Aaron, turning to the quite extensive passages in the book and also in the interviews about the death of his mother, Princess Diana, I think one of the things that really resonated and really surprised a lot of people was this idea he reveals that he didn't really believe his mother was dead for a very long time. Can you tell us more about that? We've heard so much from him over the years about how he's coped with his mother's death and the therapy he's been through and how difficult it's been and painful, but we've never heard him talk about this before that for many years and into his 20s, kind of toyed with this idea in his mind that his mother was in hiding and not really dead and that she was going to come for him and William one day. And he just couldn't reason in his own mind that this this actually happened. It is really heartbreaking and it really shows that this was a young boy and then a young man who really did need more help than he was getting in processing the death of his mother. He went to great lengths to try to convince himself that one or the other from asking to see the uh, secret government photos of from the crash and her death to even reliving the final ride she took in the, that Paris tunnel himself. He was just really trying to find out for himself, you know, what, what happened? Could this have possibly happened? Yeah, it was really, I thought that that was really devastating hearing the lengths he went to convince himself that she was really gone. I thought in the interview with Anderson Cooper, Changing Topics, that one of the most pointed moments in that interview is when Anderson said to Harry, okay, you've made it clear why you left. Why then not give up your royal titles, which of course are Duke and Duchess of Sussex for Meghan and Harry? Simon, what did you think of his answer to that? And also, I thought it was very telling that Harry seems to be laying some breadcrumbs, possibly pretty publicly for his father, about a role he'd like to see in the future. Well, to answer the first part, why not give up your title? It's a perfectly good question, isn't it? But he said, what difference does it make? Rather glibly, I suppose, in his answer. But also, I mean, he would see it probably that it was given by his grandmother and it sticks with him a bit like being born Prince Harry. I imagine he hasn't said that, but it was given on his wedding day. It's not like those other things that he gave up, which were his duties, for example, he had to give up when he left. But I agree, he's thrown out this idea that he could, if dad asks him, as he made a point in Tom Bradbury's interview, he would consider coming back. But there's got to be more apologies before then, he said as well. But he is leaving a a door open and he's tantalising sort of idea that he could almost work in the Commonwealth. I think there is the beginnings of him trying to sort of see if there was a way back into royal life if they wanted it. And obviously, there's a long way to go in terms of working that out on both sides. 
Yeah. He gives this very final answer regarding, no, I will never be a full-time working royal again, but very much leaves the door open to this idea of serving his father or the crown in some way within the Commonwealth. Which again, which was a bit like what they proposed when they first left, which I suppose he's trying to get back to that, which we might come back to the same problems. But it shows that they're still wanting to have some way of moving forward, I think. It does. So between the three of us, we have been covering this family for several decades. Um, And some of what we've heard in this book and in these interviews directly from Harry are certainly things that we have heard from sources within the family, within the institution, on and off throughout the years. And, you know, I wondered how for you, Simon, hearing directly from Harry for the first time, is it validating in terms of your own reporting? Did anything really shock you? Or did it feel more like, okay, for the first time, he's really confirming things that had been said sort of quietly throughout the years? Well, it's incredible. The most recent stuff that we've all been covering over the last couple of years is why they left, why they had the terrible arguments that that led to their departure from the royal family, the working end of the royal family, should we say. And Harry confirms it, that his brother had warned him if it was shown concern about how fast they were moving in their relationship, that Harry and Meghan were moving in their relationship, which is a story that we'd been writing for the last couple of years. And okay, it hadn't been denied and we were confident of it, but at the same time, here it was suddenly coming from one of their voices. And then there's things like him confirming his drug use. Yes, we all reported that a long time ago, although it seems to be at different points to when it first came out. And their difficulties, as we talked earlier about, and conflicts about Camilla and the role in their lives as young men. And as I say, I think that's more reconciled now, but it clearly was a very hard time for him and for William in terms of getting used to her, but also the sort of conversations around the place and in the media that that surrounded her. And the fact that he's written it all down over 400 odd pages, it's fascinating because we've covered a lot of it. And here we are actually hearing his own take on it. And some of it resonates. Some of it is brand new, like the fact he came to blows with his brother, which I'll be honest, obviously I'd never heard of before. But it's fascinating to hear his side of these last 30 odd years. Again, it's It's really unprecedented. Even his mother, when she first did share her side of the story to Andrew Morton, did so under a cloak of anonymity, not revealing that she was Andrew Morton's source. So to have him put his name to this is something really extraordinary. And I think it's interesting, Simon, that he does call out this use of royal sources, unnamed sources, which is something certainly that is commonplace throughout the press on both sides of the Atlantic. What is your opinion on his criticism of that? I have a big soft spot for Prince Harry, and I've admired him over the years for many things. But if you're a political journalist, you have political sources. If you're a royal correspondent or you work in the royal world, you have a royal source. He says they're all at the palace. Some of them are. Some of them are friends. Some of them are all kinds of adjacent to the to the palace types. You can have a long debate about whether you should name them, whether they should be named, and so on. But to say that you wouldn't have a source for things or that they're all one body or one type of person, I think is is wrong. I'm not saying he's not right in some respects. He is. But there are many royal sources, and he's not necessarily being right about them all being one kind. He says they're basically all the palace. Well, there is still so much to talk about surrounding Prince Harry and the Windsor family. After the break, we get into the rest of Harry setting the record straight in these 
really insightful sit-down interviews, plus a tease of what to expect from our own interview with Prince Harry, which will be out tomorrow. We'll be right back. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. We are back with people Simon Perry and Aaron Hill talking all about Prince Harry's new memoir, Spare. Let's get into what we here at People have learned in our own reporting. Simon, you know, there's quite a, a bit, obviously, in the book about Harry's relationship with both his father, Charles, and his brother, William. As someone who has chronicled those three individuals quarter of a century now. He admitted to Anderson Cooper that they don't speak at all right now. He and his brother and father talked about this narrative being shaped against him, talked about why he's speaking to the press. Can you shed light on some of that for us? It's quite clear they have a very strange relationship. They have done for a while. I think it goes back further. I mean, he even says, doesn't he, that as a teen, he found it hard when he arrives at Eton and William, like a lot of our older brothers, <laughs> don't want to be associated with their younger sibling. And he even mentioned in one of the interviews yesterday that he can see that a little bit in Archie, that he doesn't want Lily crashing into his playing time or whatever. Some of that is just sibling rivalry and so on, which has built up over the years. But Obviously, of late, he can't talk to his brother very easily because they have such diverse opinions about where they are in their life and their family and, and all the relationships that have clearly broken down. I wasn't remotely surprised when he's been saying that I don't speak to them. I sense that he does speak to his dad more and has done periodically over the recent months. But I suspect, and I'm fairly certain, it's fairly sporadic and it comes in fits and starts depending on what's needed or or whatever. I imagine in the coming up to the coronation, they will have some more back and forth in some form, whether it be about an invitation and or, or not. But with his brother, it's clearly harder. And sadly, that was writ large, wasn't it? When they came over for the funeral, there's very little interaction between them. And we know that they did that walkabout, but not much else together. They didn't even go and see the Queen on her deathbed together. They were separated at that point in different houses on the, on the Scottish estate where the family gathered. As far as speaking to the press, you know, I did think that Anderson sort of put him on the spot because Harry Harry tells him, well, I'd like to have these conversations privately about reconciliation. And Anderson said, they may say to you, well, how can we trust that these conversations will remain private if you're sharing other private conversations? It feels as though what he's trying to say is, my family speaks through the press and always has, and now I'm just basically owning it. Is that is that the right take on that? 
I think that's, I suppose that is what he's saying, but I don't think it's wholly true, sadly. Does every conversation make its way to, to the media? I assume not. I can see their wariness over here, over in Britain, where the Charles and William are based. They might be wary about what conversations might suddenly have been appearing in the book, which clearly he has repeated. Therefore, having private conversations or any kind of conversation will be hard in the short term, hence why reconciliation or rapprochement of any kind most people over here think it's still some way off. That makes sense. Now, Aaron, you know, a big topic in both the interviews he's done and the book is, of course, the very famous interview with Oprah Winfrey that Harry and Meghan did after they stepped back from their royal royals, left the UK. Harry has sort of clarified something that was one of the most controversial and really the, the, the biggest bombshells from that interview, right? What what has changed now that he's talking more about it? So Oprah's interview did come up and, and within that interview, like you said, like the, one of the most talked about moments was when Megan shared that the color of their future children's skin came up and within the family and conversations about how dark the skin color might be when the baby's born. And Harry was impressed about that and, and how he and Meghan accused the royal family of racism. And he stopped him right, right there and said, no, you know, the British press inferred that. And Meghan never said they're racist. And so the interviewer then says, you know, this is a, that's what's inferred. And even William was asked point blank a, a day or two later, is the royal family racist? In which he says, no, we're very much not a racist family. But Harry's clarifying, saying, he wouldn't describe the incident that they talked about as racist and he wouldn't describe his family members as racist, not having lived within that family. And he points to the difference between racism and unconscious bias and how those two things are very different. He talked about him, he himself having dealt with unconscious bias and his eyes weren't really opened to that until he started dating Megan and saying that there's no, not racism with his family, but there certainly is unconscious bias. And he points to the recent example of the palace involving a longstanding member of the palace household and a charity founder who was invited to a reception who was asked some racially charged questions. And Harry goes on to say that he and Meghan love this staffer, this woman, she's a long time waiting, waiting of the, of the late queen and how he says this is not something that she meant harm by, but it's an unconscious bias. And that's one of the main points he's trying to get to. But I am curious, Simon, do you feel like that change and that clarification he's offering is an olive branch to the family. You know, I remember when the when the Oprah interview happened, Harry very quickly the next day, Harry and Meghan clarified, the comment was not made by my grandmother, the queen, or my grandfather, Prince Philip. Now he's going a step beyond that and saying it was not actually racist. Is this sort of, in your view, an attempt at laying some sort of reconciliation groundwork? Maybe, like we were saying before, him holding out a little hope for some form of royal position in the future. Maybe it is an olive branch. Well, maybe he's just come around to it thinking that it wasn't how it's been described. He reads the media, as we know, and he's come around to thinking that it wasn't as deeply held racist point. It was, it was as he's explaining now, an unconscious bias in people who've not really had to think about this sort of thing before enough. It will help to soften things, but I know people over here would be thinking, why didn't you point this out before? I will say to that point, why didn't he say something? Well, that's the very thing he's criticizing the family for never doing with anything that's come out a negative about them. Nobody's ever corrected the press. And so he kind of let it play out the way he's seen so many other uh, things play play out for them in the press. 
silence is betrayal. That's what he said, right? Silence is betrayal. You see the pain. You see the anger with Harry regarding Harry's feelings toward the press. I think there is no doubt when you watch these interviews, when you read Spare, how angry he is with the media treatment, obviously, of his mother, her death, and all the ways that was tied up in the press. And then, of course, through to his wife, to his marriage, to Megan. I have to say, Simon, you and I have been people for long enough to remember when, in fact, we were chronicling Harry's drug use and Harry's Nazi costume and Harry's uh, billiards in Vegas. As the years progressed, I mean, the culture has evolved and changed. But also what we weren't in the press, and I and I feel this very much about something like the strip billiards, you know, there wasn't this, the, the, the appropriate context around a young man who was hurting, right? Who was truly traumatized by his mother's death, enlisting in, in the military, facing down the prospect of being in combat. Is there anything from that time, Simon, you look back at and think, I wish we'd done that differently? I mean, he clearly was struggling all the way through his teen and early 20s life that when he became a young man and was clearly living out his life in a more public way, I think a lot of people would have, now knowing what they know, may have approached things differently. I don't don't think we ever covered him in any nasty way, but maybe there would have been more understanding about the situation. But in terms of his tour and how he's looking on these interviews and very publicly out there promoting his book... He does switch from being sometimes at ease with his decision and his happiness that he's made and a new life in the sunshine of California with a lovely wife and two lovely children. But at the same time, it looks like he's lost something. He's lost a life close to his family. He's missing that. He's missing some of those family gatherings, which would be completely normal and natural that he loved those moments being around his wide extended family. And you do see that sort of conflict in, in his eyes um, sometimes and his wistfulness at the very least. So Aaron... You, in fact, have your own interview with Prince Harry for People Magazine this week. It's our cover story. Can you please tell us a little bit about what our readers can expect to find in that interview? Yes. So Harry really goes into even more depth about his decision to share his his life story in such a revealing way and spare. And he also used this opportunity to really clarify and shed light on, on the global reaction and response to a lot of the, the portions of the book that were leaked and things that were mentioned in his his recent interviews and things he obviously wants to set the record straight on and really goes in, in depth into where he is today and what he's looking to for the future. Some things that People really haven't heard from him up until this point, including we can tease one fun surprise, wouldn't you say? I would. Uh, <laughs> let's say that this is a really fun glimpse into his American life. Yes, definitely. And how he's adjusted. So it's a yeah, fun little surprise anecdote. So this interview will come out tomorrow, Tuesday, 7 a.m. on people.com. And then the full interview and cover story will be on newsstands this Friday. Fantastic. Well, Simon and Aaron, thank you both so much for breaking all of this down with us. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. It's been fun. Last, but definitely not least, I thought I'd leave you all with one of the lighter, really sweet stories coming out of Spare. This is a story about the time Queen Elizabeth 
met Archie and his sister Lilibet and why Her Majesty was so surprised. As you all know, last year, Queen Elizabeth celebrated her Platinum Jubilee, and it was a huge, huge party across the United Kingdom and, and really around the world. And in addition to all of the planned public celebrations, Queen Elizabeth had a special moment she and her grandson, Prince Harry, had both been looking forward to for a very long time. And that was the Queen meeting both of her great-grandchildren from um, Meghan and Harry, Archie and Lilibet, for the first time. Because of the pandemic and the fact that, of course, Harry and Meghan no longer live in the UK, the Queen wasn't able to meet those two great-grandchildren until they came together to celebrate her 70 years on the throne. Harry paints this picture for us in the book, sharing that his son Archie made these big sweeping bows toward his great granny, the queen, while Archie's sister, baby Lilibet, cuddles her great granny's legs. And as Harry recalls, Queen Elizabeth sort of playfully says, oh, they're such sweet children. And Harry's feeling is that his grandmother perhaps expected them to be more American because these are, after all, her American great-grandchildren. And by that, what Harry interprets that to mean is a little bit more loud and rambunctious than the sort of stiff upper lip British demeanor. Although I'm not sure about British toddlers being any more stiff upper lip than American toddlers, but apparently that's how Harry felt and interpreted his grandma's surprise. Harry then goes on to talk about how much it really meant to him to see his children and his beloved grandmother together. And as our audience knows, Harry has often talked about how close he and his granny were and the special bond they shared. And he was really so thankful to see her warmth and humor on display with his own two children. Well, I can only imagine what else we're going to learn about the royal family when we get our hands on a copy of Spare at last tomorrow. That's our show for today. I had so much fun being with you all. Thanks for letting me be a part of your day. Janine will be back with you tomorrow for your Tuesday edition of People Every Day.